We have uh, brought it up to you before. We have a number of people that were looking for jobs. We had four. And then uh, after we, we uh, announced that, uh, that, Chelsea got one. She's uh, working as teaching right now. And we still had, <coughs> still had three. And we, um, Naz is uh, out there looking for, for one as, as well. He's, uh, he has one, but he's looking for uh, a different one. And that's, uh, that's a good thing. But Ethel and uh, Mike and Nikolai, they're all looking for jobs. So here's what I want us to do. When we, uh, we talk about here and we become mindful of these things here on Sunday, but let's be mindful of it during the week. And I'm going to challenge you all to remember every day to pray for these things. Now, this is what I mean when I pray, say pray for it. I don't mean take a half hour and try and talk God into giving them a job. <laughs> all right, that's not what we're doing. We don't need to talk God. You're just wasting your time if you do that. This is what I want you to do. We sing that song, Come Now Fount. He is the fount of blessing. So if you're going to, when you stop and you do this, and it won't take you longer than 30 seconds to a minute. That's all it's going to take you. Like I told you, prayer is short. Prayer is short. Fellowship, you can fellowship in prayer for a long time. But when you go to God for a need, you go to God for something, it's short. Look at Jesus, look at Paul, look at Peter, look at the people in the Bible. They didn't spend much time. If they didn't, neither should you. How long did it take Moses to intercede for the children of Israel? Folks, one verse, two verses sometimes, that's about it. It took him longer to thank God than it did to intercede for Israel. All right, so you want to spend time, spend time thanking God, worshiping God. You can spend a lot of time in that. He'll, he'll be fine with that. But when you need to ask him these things, it needs to be short. We've talked to this before. The longer the prayer, the more unbelief is in it. Guarantee you listen to your prayer. That's, that's what it is. So here's what I want you to, to do. When you pray on these things, I want you to first off, bind the enemy. Because he, of course, would try and keep these things from the children of God. How long does it take to bind the enemy? They don't take long, does it? In the name of Jesus, Satan, we tell you, tell you right now, you take your hands off those jobs. Those jobs are meant for those folks that God has intended them for, and you will not stand in the way. That's all you got to do. All right. After that, I want you to, to call on the wisdom of God, because God said if you lack wisdom, ask God. So you pray for God. God, I pray right now that you just give wisdom to these people. That they recognize your voice, they recognize your direction. And when they see an opportunity, they'll first of all ask you and you will give them wisdom in this, whether it's you or not. And if it's you, if your hand's in it, oh, glory to God. <laughs> and that's all you got to do. And you pray for wisdom for that, for that person. You can call in jobs for them. Father God, right now, I call in jobs for these folks from, from wherever, wherever these jobs are, Father, they, just, they, they find them. They're looking for them. They're out there looking for them, they're doing things. But as they're doing it, they're going to find these, these jobs. You're going to lead them to them. You're going to bring them to them. And you can pray for the direction and the guidance of, of, of uh, God on their life to, to go out and find them and to do these. But don't, don't waste time. Oh, God, please bless them with a job. That's just wasting your time and, and spreading unbelief. You don't need to do that. They don't need to have that. What did Jesus do with people who brought unbelief into the room? Put them out. And if you're here on Wednesday night, what else did he do? A couple of Wednesday nights we, we, we spent on this. After he put them out, what did he do? Shut the door. <laughs> we tried to find it, and I did find the song, but we couldn't find it to put it on the computer. Um, there was a, a song that would, when I was in high school, probably, and when I, how many of you remember the song, Shut the Door, Keep Out the Devil? A couple of you remember it. Yeah, some of you folks are as old as I am. So yeah. <laughs> we mentioned it on Wednesday night. I don't think anybody on Wednesday night even heard of the song before. So... Um, we have, to, we have to go out there and get that song and bring it on in. It has absolutely no spiritual significance to the song at all. It's just a... 
<laughs> it's just a cute song. But uh, you can be praying these things, and I want you to do this on a regular basis. To, uh, we're not trying to move God. There's obstacles, there's things in the way, and we need to stand together as a body to get rid of these things and have these things go on. So you do that. You keep them going. Shoot them a message. If you're on Facebook, shame on you. Get on Facebook. I don't want to be on Facebook, but then you don't want to be connected to your church. Hello. You know, I hit on you for, for a long time, but there has got to be more ways for us to connect with each other as a church during the week. And this is one of them. It's a great one. You can send personal, private messages to each other, and you can send public ones. You can just decide which one that you, you want to do. And you can get great teaching, great exhortation from people that are up there. I know there's junk up there too. Who cares? It's not Twitter. Twitter's awful. I don't know why anybody's on Twitter. Anything that you have to tweet <coughs> to do anything. I, just, I don't understand that, but um, I haven't seen anything come out of that uh, that I much, much prefer. But get on there, encourage each other. If you, you, know, you get out there on Facebook, you're already on Facebook with some of these people, just send them a message. Hey, I was praying for you today. I took authority. I was praying for wisdom for you. Whatever it was, just let them know. That tells them, hey, other people are here standing with us and, and these things. And glory to God, we can, we can do that. You can just send them those things privately. They don't need to, to put that out there. And just send them a nice little private message. It'll pop right up there on their phone and their computers and all kinds of stuff. And, and we can be encouraging each other along the way. And you ought to be praying for each other during the, the week too. And if God gives you something, uh, you ought to shoot that over to somebody. Don't just wait for Sunday. If God gave it to you on Monday, he didn't expect you to wait for Sunday. And if you're going to wait until Sunday, God says, well, why should I give them anything today? They'll probably forget about it between now and Sunday. Right? Act on it. Come on. Let's get going. We're here to support each other and to help each other out. So do some of these things and, and get them going. All right. We're going to be over in 2 Kings today, just like we are on Wednesday night. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. We did the first half of 2 Kings chapter 5 a few uh, weeks ago in the Sunday service. We're going to do the second half of chapter 5 here on this Sunday service. So on Wednesday night, we're going to totally skip chapter 5. <clears throat> we're going to chapter 6 on the, on the next one. But how many of you have these? Uh, you know, we talk about smartphones. And, but other things are getting smarter too. You have your microwave ovens that are getting smarter. All you got to do now, instead of telling how long you want to cook it, just tell it what you're cooking. I'm reheating leftovers. And it figures it out all by itself. And it's not like it says, all right, we'll do this for two minutes. It actually has sensors inside. And as it begins to heat that thing up, you tell it what it is. Is it pasta? Is it uh, leftover dinner? Is it a, uh, whatever it is? And it tells by the moisture in the air whether it's done. And shuts off. Isn't that cool? Smart. How, do, you have a, do you have a smart microwave oven in your house? Oh, I'll tell you what. They're, they're so much nicer than the, than the stupid ones. You tell it we have popcorn and it figures out how much it's got to go for. and It does wonderful stuff in, in there. But we have smart microwave ovens. We have smartphones. We're getting smarter cars. You all know if we have smarter cars, cars are figuring out things. They are giving you warning lights on, on things that you never knew they could give warning lights on before. Now they have cars that will sense when you're coming up on an object too quick and begin to put the brakes on for you. That is something. But one of the things that we have on, on the, the, these things is out of my truck. I have uh, this first vehicle I ever had that, that had this. It has the little sensor that uh, tells you whether your tires are low. Now mine in particular will tell me exactly how much pressure is in each tire. So if I go, I just hit the button on the dashboard, get to the certain spot that I need to be at, and it tells me that in the left front 
it has 37 pounds of pressure. In the right front, it has 38 pounds of pressure. And it goes, I can see all the tires that are on there. And it tells me that. And one time, this really came in handy for me. I was on the, the longest distance I have ever done on a, on a bunk bed. And somehow, when I pulled out of the driveway, I picked something up. It was a big, <coughs> a big something. Ended up being a, a stick, a short stick, but it was uh, almost a half inch thick and somehow embedded itself into the tire. I found that out later on, but I didn't know that as we're coming on out. So I'm driving on down the highway, coming on off this thing, and I was about three and a half hours, four hours away from home. It was a, it was a lot further than I was uh, first told it was going to be. But anyway, we're coming on back from this. And this uh, first time this thing ever lit up, it lit up and said that one of my tires was low. And so uh, I pulled over. It said the uh, left, I think it said the left passenger side tire, or um, um, sorry, the front passenger side tire was, was low. So I got out and I looked at the passenger side tire. It, it looked fine. I didn't understand. What's, what's, it, it looks like it's okay. Well, we had uh, some things done on the tires before this and apparently they messed up the sensors. And so what it thought was the front passenger side was actually the rear driver side. No. Totally the opposite. So I'm looking at that tire. It looks to be, be fine. And so, um, uh, but you know, you're, you're a ways away from home. I had pulled off into a, of all places, a Walmart shopping center. But Walmart has all kinds of stuff. So I went inside and they got that tire stuff that you put on in. Now, if you have a good tire, don't put this stuff in your tire. Tire people will tell you, don't put this stuff in your tire unless you are having a problem. I still didn't figure out which tire was low at this point, I'm still thinking it's the one that's telling me. So I said, we can't get all the way back there and have this thing go flat on me. So I sprayed this stuff into the tire, about half the can, and I go on my way. And the uh, uh, light's still coming on. I'm checking the, the, the tire measurements. And I went down because at the time I stopped, I had about uh, just under 30 pounds of pressure, about 27 pounds of pressure. And now I'm down to 20. So it's, it's dropping. I said, well, I just put that stuff in there. So I pulled over again. I found a place that had some uh, place for me to put some air in it. And I got some air and, and pumped them up. Well, when I did that, I found out, because I had a little meter on it, that the, it was the uh, incorrect tire. So I took the leftover stuff I had and I pumped it into that one. And uh, pumped it up full of air and drove on my way back. And made it all the way back on home. Got it to the... Uh, the tire place, I went to my tire place. They pulled the thing off. They showed me what it was. They said, it's, it's really bad. We probably shouldn't repair this. We should probably just replace the whole tire. They replaced the whole tire, put the new one on. I told them about the sensor problem. They said, we'll fix that. We'll put them into the, into the right spots. And, and glory to God, it helped out, didn't it? It gave me a, a warning. I never would have had any way of, of knowing about that other than uh, this thing telling me. Well, sometime later, it came on again. And so I had a pretty good experience with it coming on before, and it came on now. And so I went through the, the little get gadgets on there, and I began to look at the tire pressure. And the tire pressure on the, the one side, it said uh, you know, 38, 39. I'm right around the, that area, the 40 pounds per, per, per square inch It's in there. And all of them were, were good in the front, went to the back, and one of the ones in the back, no pressure at all. I mean, no reading, nothing. So I got out, and I looked at it. It's just fine. Tire looks just fine. I had one of those uh, uh, air pressure gadgets on me. At the time, I put it in there. It was fine. So I said, ah, something's going on with this thing. So 
uh, we, uh, eventually I went and got the, uh, all the, the tires checked out, and they said, well, I think it just looks like your sensor's bad. We'll reset it and see if that does it. So they reset it, and we drove around for a while, and it stayed off. Then all of a sudden, it came back on again. Then uh, eventually time came along, and I had to replace the tires. We replaced the tires, and they said, well, I think we know we can do fix that up. They, they said they would do something, and it worked for about a week or two, and then all of a sudden, it came back on again. So now it's on. Now they tell me, they said, the, the thing you can do, you can either re, re, pay to get it fixed, which apparently isn't, isn't super expensive, but it's not cheap, <clears throat> or you can just have people turn it off. You can just go in there and disconnect it, and it won't work. The other three will still work, but that one, that one won't work anymore. And I haven't done that yet, so the light's still on. So every time I turn on the car, guess what? That little light comes on, and it tells me, and nothing else will read on the dashboard until I take care of that because it's telling me there's a problem. Everything else on the dashboard is off. I have to hit the button and then that will go away. But you know what this has done to me? It has made me very dull to the uh, tire gauge reading. So it could pop up and I would ignore it. I wouldn't even think twice about it. And if, if it comes back on and there is a problem again like there was before, my response will be, man, you're just acting up again. And see, this is a problem. When we take a message that's coming from a vehicle, when we take a message that's coming from our phone, when we take a message that's coming in our spirit, and we ignore it, we eventually become totally desensitized to that message. And we totally shut it down. And when we reach a place in our life where the Spirit of God is trying to hit us in that area, but we've turned it off, we won't hear it. And we won't respond. We're going to see a man who did something very similar to that here in this uh, part of the story. Just uh, reviewing what we went over with you last time. Remember what submission is not. He said submission is not deaf. It's not hard of hearing. It will, submission means I listen in attentively to what it is the master is saying. But we use that as an acronym. Submission is not drama. It's not dramatic. We don't make uh, it known that I am submitting. I don't want to do this, but I am submitting. Jesus didn't do that. It's not easy. If what you're doing is easy, it's not submission. It's not agreement. If you are in agreement with the people you are submitting to, you are not submitting. You are just in agreement. And it's not forced. No one can force you into submission. You must do it on your own. Not everything in life involves submission. If we are in agreement, we don't need to necessarily be in submission because we're going to do those things because I'm in agreement. Submission comes in when we disagree, when we don't think that what's going on should be going on. And that's exactly where we're at here. Remember, in the, we were in Second Kings before. Naaman had come and he had leprosy and he was sent by the king and the king sent him to, to the king of Israel and the king of Israel got upset. Word got back to Elisha. Elisha says, why are you getting upset over this thing? Send him over here to me. So they send him over here to, El to Elisha. And Elisha sends the servant out. And says, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. And he got upset. He didn't want to do that. And he said, I thought he'd call upon the name of his God. He'd wave his hand or something and I would be clean. He had a preconceived idea of what, what would be going on. And it didn't quite go that way. And, but eventually he got into submission in it because it wasn't an agreement. And for him, it wasn't easy. He didn't want to go wash in the Jordan, that disgusting, dirty river. <laughs> he didn't want to do all that. So it wasn't easy. 
He wasn't forced. No one forced him to do it. He had to do it himself. And eventually he, now he was dramatic. <laughs> a lot of drama involved in there, but eventually he does get over there and he drops the drama and he gets there and he does it. Let's uh, <clears throat> go back to verse 15, just rereading a couple of things we read uh, a few weeks ago when we were here. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all Israel except and all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. So he came back to thank him. Remember, Jesus healed 10 lepers. How many came back to thank him? One. Elisha healed one leper. How many came back to thank him? One. If you were here on the Wednesday night service, we went over many of the similarities between Elisha and Jesus. That Elisha is actually a type of the ministry of Jesus in many ways. Some of the ways we looked at was, uh, first off, who does Elisha come be, Elijah come before? Elijah comes before Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, they said, isn't Elijah supposed to come? He says, Elijah did come. In the form of, of, of uh, John, he came in the spirit of Elijah. But then in the second advent, Elijah himself will come and be one of the two witnesses before Jesus, his, before his coming. Well, before Elisha, who is a type of the ministry of Jesus, who came first? Elijah came before. We looked at the type of miracles. We looked at many of the different aspects. We did that on Wednesday night, but we're not going to get into it now. But there's a lot of similarities. Elisha is a type of the ministry of Jesus. You'll see some duplication even in the ministries that Elisha does and Jesus does. We looked at one of them there on uh, just this past Wednesday night when he fed a multitude with a little bit. And we see that Jesus did the same thing. Of course, his multitude was a lot bigger than Elisha's. But anyway, this guy comes back. So he heals the leper, and this one guy comes back to thank him. He doesn't just come back to thank him. He says, please take a gift from your servant. And he said, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. Now, he doesn't say, no, no, I don't want this. He says, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand... I will receive nothing. As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I am in submission to, I will receive nothing. Does that hint at, and Elisha hardly ever does this. If you're here on Wednesday, for those who are here on Wednesday, you'll see how this really ties in. Because <clears throat> when he made a statement in chapter 4, right at the end there were when he was uh, feeding the hundred men. He makes a statement and that statement was based on what God said to him but he never even hinted at it. Never even said it. What, is it. what are the things that Jesus says he would say? I will say the things that my father commanded. I will do the things that I saw my father do. And that's all he did. And we find out from Elisha that Elisha only spoke what God told him. But he never, hardly ever presents it as, thus says the Lord. Well, the Lord said this to me. Hardly ever says it. But for him, it carries the same authority. He says here, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. Now, he never says in here, the Lord told me not to take anything from you. And very seldom do we see that. And the last one is the first time he hinted at it. Because he made the statement of just what, what God said to him in, the, in that. He says, uh, 
take this and give it to the people so that they may eat. And his servant, who was Gehazi, remember how many were here on Wednesday? What did he say? What? <laughs> what? It was a statement of doubt. He threw doubt on the thing. We took a look at what doubt has to do with this. But he made a statement of doubt. And then he came back and he said not only what he had said before, but also what the Lord had said to him. And what he had said was based off of what the Lord said. This is how Elisha operates. It's a good way to operate. How many of you always hear people who are saying, well, the Lord told me. And then tomorrow they're doing something different. And then, well, the Lord told this to me. But then tomorrow they're doing something different. And then, well, the Lord said this. Well, I feel the Lord saying this. And then tomorrow they're doing something different. You ever seen people like that? How many of you were one of those people at one time? <laughs> and we, we learned, right? We, we learned. I know I learned. You just learned about these things. You just don't quite say it. It's a whole lot better to say afterwards. And this is how Elisha operates. If you look at the ministry of Elisha, Elisha just states what the Lord says and never says the Lord said it. So he says, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it. So after he says this, he says, No, I really want to give you something. No, I am not going to take it. But I, he urged him. I really want, if you want to urge somebody, do you say, hey, would you, would you mind taking this off my hands? No, what do you do? You, you are fervent. You're, you're excited. You are into this. Your emotions are involved. You are trying to urge them to do something or not to do something. He didn't just say to them, oh, please take it. He urged them. Now, we'll get into this verse in just a, just a minute. But what he, is, what he brought with him is not Naaman's stuff. It's the king's stuff. So he's giving away stuff that isn't his. It's real easy to give away stuff that isn't yours. Just look at the federal government. $18 trillion worth of giveaways. <laughs> but it's not theirs. They're giving away your stuff. It's real easy to give away stuff that you don't, don't have. He urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon. May the Lord please pardon your servant this thing. Then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. So he says, all right, if you won't take anything from me, I need to ask something from you. It's a whole lot easier for him to do this if he would have received something. But he wouldn't receive it. He says, all right, but I need to ask something from you. I want two, two mules to carry some earth. And I want to take that and I want to make a little, a little pile of Israel right there in my backyard. And when I go to pray, I'm going to pray on that pile of dirt like I'm praying on Israel. Because I'm going to pray to your God now, not to this other God. Now, I, the master I serve will still bring me into the temple of his God. And he's going to lean on me, make me worship him. But just know, I'm only worshiping God. And he says, is this going to be okay? And he doesn't tell him it's going to be okay. He just says, go in peace. <laughs> so he went in peace and, and uh, that's what we have. So he's healed of his leprosy. 
Elisha refuses, probably because the Lord told him not to. But whatever it is, he's, he's got a very strong conviction that he is not to receive anything. Verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi sees this refusal, refusal to receive something. And as we looked at this, we're, we're pretty sure that Elisha is doing this because the Lord told him not to. The Lord spoke to him. Does, does he come out and say, Naaman, the Lord spoke to me and said, Thou shalt wash in the river Jordan. He doesn't do that, does he? He simply said, Go wash in the river Jordan. Elisha said it. And no one else has anything else to, to, to get from that except that Elisha said it. He just said it. You'll see the same thing with Jesus. Jesus says the things the Father says, not always saying, thus says the Father. He just states it. But he says, I only say what the Father says. But Gehazi, look at what he says there. Look, my master. So who is a subservient, subservient person here? Gehazi is subservient to Elisha. Gehazi realizes he is subservient to Elisha. He realizes, he states that Elisha is the master in this situation. I am learning from him. He knows more than I do. Does Jesus have this with his disciples? They, they looked at him as master. They referred to him master. But were there times when the servants thought they knew better than the master? <laughs> there sure were, weren't there? And here is another time where Gehazi thinks he knows better than the master. He says, look, my master has spared now, if you were here on Wednesday, you, this, this will make more sense to you. If not, we'll have it up there on the internet. You can, you can listen, down, listen to it. As Elisha is a type of the ministry of Jesus, he only says what God has told him to say. But he doesn't present it as such. When he says, look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian, he says it so little that Naaman, who is his right-hand man, thinks that Elisha spared Naaman. Isn't that what he says? My master has spared Naaman, this Syrian. He doesn't even see what he is doing as coming from God. Even though you look at, at all the cases and what he does comes from God. God speaks to him about each of those situations. He just doesn't come out and say, and say thus says the Lord. Look, my master has spared Naaman this, this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. So he knows that Naaman brought stuff with him. His intention was to leave the stuff with Elisha. If he leaves stuff with Elisha, isn't, isn't Gehazi going to benefit from that? <laughs> you would think. Certainly so. Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives. Isn't that what Elisha says? As the Lord lives? As the Lord lives. In other words, I know this is from God. My master doesn't know this is from God. 
He doesn't know he was supposed to take all that stuff. But I know from God that we were supposed to receive the things that he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Even if I don't get it all, if I get something, that's better. So he looks like he, he talks like he's on a mission from God to go get what was brought. Now, we spent a lot of time in chapter 4. We've looked at this, and just to catch up with this, Israel is in a famine. They are in a famine. They're in a time of famine, and a famine means there's not a whole lot of food. If there's not a whole lot of food and somebody comes with a big supply of money, will that help out your food situation? Surely will. You can finance a trip to a place that, is, that does have food. You can pay them handsomely for the food, bring the food back, and have food during the famine. All this kind of stuff could be going on. We could be buying some livestock, and they could be helping us out with this, but we didn't do any of that. Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. whole lot is in there. I'll go back again to the beginning of the verse. But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, What's the next word? Said. He said this. If you said it, it means he didn't think it, right? He spoke it out loud. He said it, which means first off, it came in as a thought. He had to embrace that thought. That thought seemed to make sense to him. And then he takes that thought and he, verb, thought and he verbalizes it. And he states with his mouth what he thought. And he puts into action the direction he's going to go. He does this very quickly because Naaman doesn't get very far. He gets a little bit of a distance, but he doesn't get very far. He can run and catch up with him. Now, just going down here on your outline, we look at, at the things he says. First off, he sees what Elisha did. He sees what Elisha, Elisha let him go. He has judged what his master did as wrong. He heard what Elisha said. He calls Elisha his master, but he embraces a thought that puts himself in the position of master. And then he puts that thought into action. Now, his reasons here are this. First off, Elisha failed to receive. And that, doesn't he look at Elisha? He failed in the area of receiving. He should have received. He failed in the area of receiving. Why does Elisha not receive? Sure appears to be that God said so. Don't take anything from him. Elisha failed to receive what he, Naaman, brought. This stuff was brought for the purpose of giving it to the man of God. This has already been dedicated in his mind to God. So it's already theirs. And as the Lord lives, as we told you, he, he sees this as, as God. So I reworked this and I put it this way. I will make up for Elisha's failure to receive what Naaman brought to give to the Lord because it is the Lord's will. Isn't that basically what he's saying? I will make up for Elisha's failure to receive what Naaman brought to give to the Lord because it is the Lord's will. How many times have we looked at people and said they did not receive what God had for them? I'm going to help this situation out. Especially when that person not receiving what God had for them affect us. Verse 21. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. 
he made a beeline for Naaman. He, he knew what direction he went and he went after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, Gehazi is running. He is on a tear. He's going after this guy. We're going to catch up with this guy. He got down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? Did something happen? I just left, but you're running after me. Did we leave something behind? Did something happen that you need us to help take care of? What's going on? Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me. Did he? Mm -mm. No. Now, this is a servant of God doing what he thinks is the purpose of God and doing so by what? He's misrepresenting some things here, isn't he? My master has sent me. Okay, first off, the master didn't send him. Then he says, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. He didn't just say two young men came. He says where they came from. He probably makes this in such a way that the men came from the opposite direction of Naaman, and that's why Naaman didn't see them. So that's probably why he throws a direction in there. They came from another spot. You wouldn't have seen them come from over here. You're going over this direction. But here they came, and it's right after you left. I mean, you just missed them. They came on in. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him, <laughs> just like he did with Elisha. Oh, all right. If you insist, I'll take the two talents. Right? And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of garments. So each, each bag has two changes of garments and two talents of silver. Now, I want to read to you back in Second Kings 5 and verse 5. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, he's talking to Naaman, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Ten shekel or talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And Gehazi asked for one and two, which equates to, with the two of them, he asked for two talents of silver and four changes of garments. That left a lot on the table. He gets four talents of silver and four changes of garments. That's still leaving a lot on the table, isn't it? But he, only, he made a statement, I'm going to go and get something. It would seem funny if I went and got it all. But if I go and I get something, you can probably get that under the, under the bridge there. Now, one town of, of, of silver, I looked this up in a number of different places, and you know, the, the numbers vary. So here's what we got as a, uh, my, my best guess from all the stuff that I looked at. One talent of silver today is worth about $6,000. So $24,000 worth of silver he brings back with him. And four changes of clothes. That's what he ends up coming back with. So Naaman heard the request. And he says, oh, by all means. But let's do this, let's do this better. Let's give you two talents of silver. And uh, 
two changes of garments for each person. Let's do that. He's happy to do it. He was happy to give them the whole thing. Again, it's not naming stuff. Even if it was naming stuff, he got healed. I think he would have given it, but it's the king's stuff. The king gave it with the intention of uh, having to come, come back to him. God wanted a message to be sent by them not receiving anything. And Gehazi doesn't care about that. He cares about the ministry of Gehazi. I want to receive some stuff here. So when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand. Because not only does Naaman give him the stuff, he gives them two people to carry the stuff back. So Gehazi doesn't have to carry anything. He's got two servants. One's got two talents of silver and two changes of clothes. He's got a bag with that in it. The other one has the bag with two talents of silver, two changes of clothes. Each one's got the bag. So they're both carrying a bag back all the way over to the citadel and they get to the place where it looks... He has to give the appearance. He can't bring it into his own, his own place. He has to give the appearance that this is going for the purpose which he said. So once he gets outside the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let them in go and they departed. So he took them to a place, grabbed them from, I, I can get it from here, guys. Appreciate you bringing it this far. And he took them from there and he stored them in a place where he would know where they were and no one else would know where they are. He would be able to get to them. Now, he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? <laughs> I wonder how many times Elisha ever asked him this question before. Because we never have a time in the Word of God where he asked them this question, but there's probably no real reason to record it if it was. So if you're Gehazi, if he has never asked you this question, and the one time you go someplace where it's secretive, and he says, where did you go? What would you think? Oh, man. Found me out. Here's what he says. Your servant did not go anywhere. Now, this is, what this is showing us is how much respect Gehazi has for his master. Because he feels like he hears from God better than his master, even though he won't speak over his master. Even though in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, we had him speak in doubt and unbelief. What? Shall I put this before this many men? Even though in the chapter before, we had him taking Elisha's rod, putting it on the uh, dead child's body, and nothing happened. And Elisha comes in, and after a little while, he was raised up. Even though those things happen with Elisha, but not with him. He still thinks, I got some anointing in me. I got some stuff, and Elisha's just not seeing it. And he says here that he either doesn't think Elisha will see this, or he really believes that what he's doing is of God, and God would not show it to him. This all happens in a short period of time. He goes from being the servant of Elisha to seeing that he is the master of Elisha in a very short period of time. Isn't that amazing? If you had the opportunity, as Elisha had to sit under the feet of Elijah, would you have approached the end days the same way that Elisha did? I'm not going anywhere. As the Lord lives, I am not leaving your side. I'm staying right here. And they go in the next place and Elijah tries to kick him out again. No, no, no. As the Lord lives, I'm staying right here. And the third time, as the Lord lives, 
I'm staying right here. You're not getting rid of me. He says the same answer really all three times. And then finally, Elijah says to Elisha, what do you want? That's when he asked for the double portion. Here's Gehazi. He knows all the stories of Elisha. Elisha has told these stories. We looked in the chapter 4. We saw that Elisha told these stories to the woman who built the room in the house. And if you're not familiar with how we know that, go back over in the Wednesday night. You'll, you'll hear that one. The woman knew the stories that Elisha told. If the woman knew the stories, how much more does Gehazi know the stories of what happened between Elijah and Elisha? Gehazi has to be thinking, if Elisha could get a portion of the ministry of Elijah, can I get a portion of the ministry of Elisha? Maybe to him, it's already happened. But it's not going to work too well for very long. Where did you go, Gehazi? <laughs> Your servant didn't go anywhere. Right here. Staying right here, just taking care of the business at hand, taking care of the house, taking care of the school of the prophets, you know. There's a lot of things going on. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Folks, this has got to be scary stuff. You've got a man who doesn't say verbally, thus says the Lord. The Lord showed me this. But he tells you the very things that you do. He just got back from this man. He took no one with him. The servants, they came back and carried the stuff were Naaman's servants and they returned to Naaman after they were done. He's the only one from Israel who was there. Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? How did it happen? He's going running after him. The man sees that he's running after him, gets down off his chariot and comes to meet him. Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? What did he receive? Money and clothing. <laughs> I mean, this should just scare you if you're in his, his, uh, his shoes. Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? Now he goes on. Olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. Well, he didn't get all those things, right? So why is he throwing these things in here? If you suddenly came into a sum of money, $24,000, let's say, what would you begin to do in your thoughts? See that commercials on TV about some instant lottery game? And the people next to them can see what it is that they're dreaming about. You know, all that sort of stuff. Because if you came into a lot of money, what would you begin to do? Dream about what you would do with the money. And in that dream, you would begin to experience the feeling of what it would be like. For some of you, you may, if you came into a lot of money, you would experience the feeling of paying off certain debts that are heavy on you, right? Some of you might be thinking, well... Uh, I, I've got some debts. I'll put some of it toward that, but got my eye on this car. I could see myself buying that car. I'm buying it, buying it cash. Oh, that would be. <laughs> you, you begin to see these things and you begin to do this. Well, Gehazi, on the way back, has probably been thinking, what am I going to buy with this money? I was hoping I'd get $12,000. I got $24,000. What can I buy? Well, <laughs> you can go out there. I can buy some olive groves. 
I can buy some vineyards. I can buy some sheep. I can buy some oxen. We can put them to work. We can make some money off of, off of them. I can hire some people to run the vineyards and run the, 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 the groves. And they can be doing all that stuff. And I can be making money off this. I don't even have to do anything. I can still be over here working in the, the ministry, helping Elisha and making money at the same time. He's probably thinking about all these things. And so when he says this, more than likely what's in the mind of Gehazi are not only the things that he received, but the things he's going to turn them into. Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? Olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. Now that leprosy was not supposed to come upon anyone else. It was supposed to be washed away and gone. That's what was supposed to happen, isn't it? Leprosy was like sin. It began to take over your body and begin to eat it and you just begin to die a slow death. And by the time you, you died, you just disfigured, ugly. It was a very feared disease. Very feared disease. Jesus not only ministered to people in the area of leprosy, he also ministered to people who were under sin. When he died on the cross for our sins, he forgave us all of our sins, didn't he? Elisha here does this ministry of getting rid of leprosy. But that sin came upon someone else. It wasn't ever supposed to. It wasn't ever supposed to be washed and done away with. But it came upon someone else. And the one it came upon was the one who replaced Elisha as the master with himself. And isn't that what people who are dead in their sins have done? They've replaced who's supposed to be the master in the life with themselves. He says, the leprosy that was on Naaman is now going to be upon you and on your descendants forever. They will have this. Hmm. We could spend a lot more time to look at the things that, that would go on there. If, if someone came upon leprosy, it said that leprosy would be upon them. It didn't say they would die with it, did it? And then the leprosy of Naaman, is it able to be healed? Is it Naaman healed? So the leprosy of Naaman is able to be healed. Right? All what do you have to do? Submit yourself to the man of God and you can be healed. So don't get this idea that everyone who's a descendant now of Naaman has to be leprous. If they were born with it, they can be healed. The same way Naaman was. Because Naaman had it, but he got healed. We're not done with Gehazi. Gehazi will show up again. We're going to see him come out. of. He's not over. He comes back. We'll find out some more things that happen, but that's on a Wednesday night. We won't bring that one out here to the Sunday morning service. So he says, is it time to receive these things? Now look at ourselves. How do we do the same thing with God? Don't we do the, don't we do the same thing in the area of submission? We, we receive things from God. We do whatever God says. And then all of a sudden God says, we feel in our spirit God telling us to do something. Well, that's not right. 
that's not a good way to do this. God, this is a better way. And we have a better way. And we take ourselves and put ourselves into the master position instead of God. Now, submission is not forced. Does God let us do it? Absolutely. Does Elisha chase after Gehazi? But does he know what's going on? He does. Because submission, folks, is not forced. He didn't force them to submit one way or the other. How much confidence must we have in God when we reverse the roles and try to become the master? Doesn't it mean that we don't have any confidence in God? Well, God, I have confidence in your word as long as I can agree or see where it's going, but I don't understand this, so I don't think yours is such a good way. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, I've done all these things since I was young. What more do I lack? And Jesus said, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And you'll have riches in heaven and in this life. And the poor man said, okay, you're the master. That's what he should have said, right? What did he say? He went away. He was sad because he had a lot of stuff. Doesn't want to give it up. Well, the same is true of others. If I am called to serve someone in this life and I reverse the roles because I don't think that something they're doing is good, even if I have the same methodology that Gehazi used, I don't see God in this. God purposed these things for, to be ours and you gone and let them go. So I'm going to go and at least get something. I can't get it all, but I can at least go back and I can get something. I'll put this in your outline for you. We may blame others. We may blame others and say, well, it's Elisha because he failed at receiving. It's Elisha because he didn't take this. It's Elisha because he didn't make Naaman, whatever it was. We may blame others, but the fault is in our own shortcomings. It's us. It's in our own shortcomings. The problem is I am not submitted the way that I need to be submitted. I am not walking the way that I need to be walking. I need to walk into submission to God, and I also need to walk into submission to the Elishas and the people that he puts in our life. The disciples need to walk in submission to Jesus. The people in the New Testament walked in submission to the apostles, and so on down. There was, everyone was supposed to be submitted to someone. Even Paul spoke of who he was submitted to. Not just Jesus, he was to, spoke of who he was submitted to. And what church? What, uh, what group? He was submitted to the folks in Antioch. We blame others for our shortcomings. or for our, We blame others, but the fault is ours. It's our own short. That, that's the reason. There are shortcomings in me that cause me to take myself out of the role of servant and put myself in the role of master. And when we suffer in the area of submission, when I do the things that I don't agree with, when I do the things that I don't quite see as being right, but I'm in submission... There's suffering. And we find out that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And we talked about that earlier in this, this series. There are going to be times when your boss at work who is not saved, are you supposed to be submitted to your boss at work? Your boss at work who is not saved may ask you to do some things. And I'm not talking about 
in moral things. I'm just talking about things. You, I, I don't think it's going to work well this way. I don't like doing it this way. I think if we did it this way, it'd be better. And the boss hears what you had to say and says, well, we're going to do it this way. And what should you do? But there's suffering involved with it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's suffering involved. And you should do it. I haven't told this story in a little while, but I told this story to you before when I was working over at uh, Kelsner's Horse Riders. N- wonderful boss. Probably a nicer boss than any of you probably have right now. I mean, he was a nice boss. He was a great boss. He was kind. He was considerate. He was, uh, there, there's a, just a lot of good things about him. He was very personable. You'd walk into his office, sit down, chat with him, have a talk with him, and uh, have some concerns. You could tell him about these things. But the, if, if there's going to be a shortcoming, he, uh, he did everything that was important to do himself. Everything that was important, he did. And what happened was some of the important things weren't getting done. And so they were running out of product. We were, there was a couple of us that were salesmen, and we were going out trying to sell things. We load them on the truck where there's no th- nothing here to be sold. And if we don't have it, then they either buy it from somebody else or they don't, they don't rely on us as a supplier for it anymore, and we lose sales. If we lose sales, then our end looks bad. The production manager, he would often tell us, I don't have any of these, these, this product for you because I'm out of this particular thing. Um, so the boss didn't order them. Didn't order lids, didn't order cups, didn't order some kind, of, some kind of a part was missing. We have everything else, but we don't have that. We can't sell it. I was not allowed to sell a particular product we had in the store that we sold because they knew if I sold it that my sales would jump would jump to the roof compared to everybody else. They knew I would sell these things. They knew the people I sold them to bought these things. And they said, if we let you loose, we won't be able to keep up. We know it. We, we, we won't be able to do it. So they, they, I couldn't do it. So our hands were tied on a lot of things, but it was getting real frustrating. And there was one time, I, I was totally in the wrong. I totally blew it on this. I was in the truck. I was loading the truck with another salesman of mine, and we were out of a particular product. And we've been out of this product before, and it's one of those things that the people rely on. It's a good, got the good dollar item, and we're out of it. And we don't know what to, what to do. And I'm in there, and I am complaining to him about my boss. And he's complaining to me about my boss. And we're complaining to each other about our boss. Not only about this item that we're out of now, but all the times we've been out of it in the past, and all the frustration of all the things we've been out of in times before that. And I knew I shouldn't be doing it. I knew I shouldn't be saying this. But I did. He may not have been born again. I, he, he did go to church, but I don't know if he, you know, he was quite born again. But I, I sure knew better. And I still was doing it. And we fed off each other doing that for a little while. And guess who came around the corner? My boss. He was very kind. Didn't make, any, make us feel bad and just made a comment to us and then went into his office. Man, I felt bad. I went into his office. I apologized to him. I shouldn't have been saying those kind of things. And, um, and, went, and we went on. But again, I began to talk to God about this. I said, God, what can we do about, about taking care of this, this thing? So I, I approached him with a, with a way we could maybe help this thing out. And I said, hey, but if we do this, he said, if, if, um, how about if I make up the orders for these things, because I'm in touch with them every day, and then you don't have to be, be messing with this. I'll take over the ordering of that, and I'll, I'll, I'll do that, and it'll take something off of your hands. Would that help you out? And he said no. <laughs> 
And he told me why. He says, if, I said, you're not in touch with the cash flow. You could order over order on stuff and our cash be all tied up in the product in the warehouse and then we can't do the things we need to do. So he says, that won't work that way. Oh, okay. I didn't, and that's a valid thing. I, did, I didn't think about that. That's a valid. So I said, all right. So I, I went back to him later on. I says, look, how about we do this? I'll make up the order and you call it in. And he said, you know, that might work. He says, all right, let's give that a try. So I wrote up the order and I submitted it to him for him to call in. And he called it in and we did that for uh, weeks, I don't know, weeks, maybe a month or two. And then he finally came to me. He says, you know what? You've got a handle on this. You're doing just fine. Go ahead and call him in yourself. And he was done with ordering the product in there. If we ran out, it was now my fault. Well, it didn't stop there. He, be, he began to see that this worked so well, he went over to the production manager and he says, you know what? You order the stuff that you need when you need to get it. And we no longer had problems on supply on the, the production side. And the production manager came to me and says, man, I really appreciate you did that. He said, I've been trying for years to get him to, to trust me and let me order these things. And you came in and suddenly changed it. Only because God gave me wisdom on what to do. That was, that was it. But again, it came out because I made a stupid mistake. Felt poorly. But I learned that lesson, though. I'll tell you what. I, I made sure. Don't be talking about your boss. <laughs> whether you think he's there or whether you think he's not. It's, uh, even when I'm out there on the road, I didn't talk about my boss anymore like that. Said, no, 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 no. I'm, I learned that lesson. I'm not going to do that anymore. Because that, uh, that doesn't help you out. See, we're supposed to walk in submission. Whether your boss is born again or not born again, there's a submission that you need to have there. And it's a testimony of God when you walk in it the right way. There's other relationships we have, and we need to walk in that, that submission. When we begin to assert our will over theirs, we're having a problem. But what we learn when we do this is how to walk with God. Because when God tells us to do something, it makes no sense. Now, I know, how to, I know how to walk in submission. I know how to do this. I've suffered through some of these things. I, I've done some, some of this stuff. I've, I, I know what to do. And we can go out there and do it. We can learn that lesson. Learn the lesson. Learn the lesson where you're at. Because where you are right now is getting you ready for what's coming. And if you don't learn the lesson at the level you're at right now, there's a bigger level that's coming. And you won't be ready for it and you'll, you'll fail. We may not always agree with the people around us and what they do, but if we're submitted to them, don't let anybody else know. Walk in submission. Walk in that. Study it the way the disciples did with Jesus. This is a great case of it right here. Gehazi is done with Elisha at this point. Elisha no longer has him in his presence. He's no longer in that role. He's not going to succeed. Elisha any more at this. But um, getting into the type of, of Elisha being Jesus, the, the successor is very much a type. Well, we, we haven't gotten into that yet on our, on our Wednesdays. We'll get into that here um, later on down the road. But would you all stand up with me? How much confidence do you have in your God? If your God tells you to do something that you don't agree with, that you don't like, that you don't even think will work, can you submit to it? But understand that anyone may have walked in submission in a moment a thought can come in and if we embrace that thought we can do just like Gehazi did and in a one moment go from servant to master and we'll mess up 
where we're going. Did this decision mess up Gehazi's life? Man, did it mess up his life. All the things that, that went on that shouldn't have gone on. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the way that you help us in this life to operate in submission, to operate doing the things that we're supposed to do, going in the direction we're going to go. We have bosses. We have people in our lives that we are submitted to, and we do not always agree with the things that they do. Father, we're learning some things, and I thank you, Father, that we can learn them. I thank you that we can pursue you and be in submission to you and those that you have put here for us. We give you the praise and the glory, Father, for your teaching us, your molding us, and your shaping us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have some praise reports, I do believe. They have their praise reports in? Oh, okay. Jolly has a praise report for a very good um, and successful memorial service for one of his colleagues. Went yeah. home to, to be with them. Excuse me. Ethel says that she had a, um, her left ankle is completely healed. Amen. She's, and she's now able to run on it again. She says she thanks God for a, a helpful congregation. Um, she says because of help from Daryl months ago, she was able to get to work to get to church today around a detour that she didn't know was, was out there. So praise the Lord for that. And Daryl says, I want to give God the praise for bringing everything together at the proper time for the dinner that Roshan and I coordinated at Alicia's school this past Friday. I love when things come together. <laughs> Candy says, I woke up one morning having pain in my left leg. I began praying and laying hands on myself and praise be to God. The pain <coughs> started to ebb away slowly until it was completely gone. Amen. So that pain is completely gone and she's healed. Aras says, I praise God for his goodness towards me and my family. Last week, my brother traveled safely from Cameroon to come visit us, and I got my driver's license. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's easier to get around when you don't have to depend on other people, right? Ray says, I came to church discouraged, but a short while after arriving, I felt hopeful again. Praise God. How many of you know it's good to be in the house of God with saints who believe and have like precious faith? Amen. This one, I tell you, I want to jump and shout and scream and run. Hallelujah. Vanessa and Keith, she says, God has remained faithful in our finances and allowed us to pay off our mortgage early. Wow. <laughs> Debt free in Jesus' name. Glory to God. You know what? I believe that anointing is just going to run off on all of us. Hallelujah. Praise God for the wisdom and the tenacity Amen. to do that, That's right? Good. Hallelujah. <laughs> Um, and now says, I praise God. He says, Pastor Steve confirmed what God was saying to me this morning for the offering in that we need to intercede. He said, I kept hearing intercession and not to look very far, but for folks here in the church for needs. Just pick a person and um, follow Pastor Steve's wisdom and bind, bind the devil. Uh, look for wisdom and then call it forth. And, you know, that goes along with what I was hearing with. And I went over and I checked it with with Ethel, you know, um, too many times, and then again, what you were saying about prayer. Too many times when we pray, we're praying things that God's already given us authority to do ourselves. We don't pray for him to move mountains. 
We move the mountain. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Speak to that mountain. Take our authority and stop being so mamby-pamby about our, our, who we are in Christ. He says that same power. I love that song. That same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives and abides on the inside of us. We are more than overcomers through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you my praise report this morning. I thank God for my grandparents. They have given me an example of how to live old. <laughs> how to live old. I just visited my grandmother yesterday. She is 92 years old, and she can run circles around the best of us. I praise God for her, um, just her example. I said to her, she fell a couple years ago and, and hurt her, her knee, and it gives her trouble. I said, you don't have to go running up and down those stairs. I'll do it for you. She goes, I don't baby my knee. I tell it what it's going to do. She goes, I don't give in to that. I'm like, praise God. All right. I repent, Lord. That's right. But praise God for these women and, and men of faith who will just hold true to the word of God. 